The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. Over the past year, we've been inundated with propaganda and at times complete untruths from institutions and governments all over the world. We have to look at what they're saying and ask ourselves, is this really true? I wondered that when I look at the Carleton University website. Carleton is my alma mater here in Ottawa. Here's what they say. We strongly recommend that all members of the Carleton community get their third and fourth doses of COVID-19 vaccine as soon as possible. Vaccination is a safe and effective way to prevent the spread and reduce the impact of COVID-19. They go on and say, after independent and thorough scientific reviews for safety, efficacy, and quality, Health Canada has approved four vaccines for use in Canada. And then they list them. But you have to wonder, if you talk to a real expert who can be candid about his opinion or her opinion about this, how much of what Carleton and other leading institutions are saying, how much of it is actually true? Well, to answer this, we have a guest today, Ithaca, New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Brigham. Along with his wife, Ginger Ross Brigham, he's the author of the new book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. Dr. Bregan is a physician with over 70 scientific articles and more than 20 medical texts and popular books. He's among the world's most experienced medical experts in landmark legal cases in psychiatry and neurosurgery, and now in COVID-19. Dr. Bregan is a lifelong reformer known as the conscience of psychiatry for his criticism of biological psychiatry and his promotion of more effective empathic and ethical forms of psychological, educational, and societal approaches to people with emotional suffering and disability. He graduated from Harvard College with honors in 1958 and then attended Case Western Reserve Medical School. His psychiatric training included a teaching fellowship at Harvard Medical School. Following his training, he became a full-time consultant in the U.S. Public Health Service at NIH. Since then, Dr. Brigham has taught at several universities, including John Hopkins, George Mason, and the University of Maryland, as well as at the Washington School of Psychiatry. Dr. Bregan is the recipient of many awards that listeners can review in his CV which I'll link to when this program goes to podcast on Monday. His website is www.bregan.com. That's B-R-E-G-G-I-N.com. So it's great to have you on the show, Dr. Bregan. Jay, you had a question to start off the interview. Uh, Dr. Bregan, what was the nature of your professional work that brought you to study the COVID problem sweeping the world? Well, I'm a psychiatrist. 
but I'm not an ordinary one in that I don't use uh, drugs in my practice, medications. I help a lot of people withdraw from them. So I have a lot of drug expertise and I've written uh, many books and, and scientific articles critical of the pharmaceutical, what I actually coined this, the psychopharmaceutical complex going way, way back, and also electroshock. And my first medical book was a 1979 book, Electroshock, Its Brain Disabling Effects. So I've been aware a long time that in the field of psychiatry, at least, the pharmaceutical industry had feet of clay, feet of sand, no feet at all. And eventually I got asked to be the, uh, uh, and appointed by a federal judge in Indiana in about 1992 or three to be the single scientific expert for all the combined suits who are well over a hundred against Eli Lilly for Prozac. So I began really deep diving into the nature of what was going on within the drug industry. And um, Ginger and I, uh, with her doing a lot of research and help, I did the writing and research. We published uh, Talking Back to Prozac, which sold about 800,000 copies. It was very timely at the time. And we became, and I in particular as a psychiatrist, became very aware of the corrupt nature of the industry. Because while I was the a single expert by the courts, assigned to study the scientific issues, the internal house communications of Eli Lilly. I actually took courses that drug company executives take, um, went to FDA meetings, interviewed FDA officials. And then toward the end, as the first case came up, I realized it was a very bad case. It was the worst case I'd seen to, to start with. And then further, uh, as I approached the uh, time for uh, my testimony, Ginger was reminding me that none of the normal procedures had been followed. I wasn't being given any more discovery. There was a, a new, uh, the uh, previous lead attorney had died. He's an older man, very respected in Chicago. And a new fellow, Joe Smith, was sending me no additional research, no additional uh, discovery of any kind. And we real, uh, began to realize this thing was fixed, um, but I, I was very slow. Ginger saw it right away. But eventually I got to the trial and um, thank goodness I couldn't testify right away. And uh, so I, uh, I demanded to see the interior of their uh, war room for what materials were in there. And I find out that there were 20 depositions I haven't seen from my, conducted by Eli Lilly. I, find a complete chronology of the mass murderer who killed himself um, at the uh, at his uh, mass murder. Uh, Joseph Westbecker is a company thing, not a, um, a school shooting. And I realized huge amounts of information would been withheld. And then finally, they were refusing to even practice my testimony. And I gave them about 40, 50 cards. And I said, you better ask me these questions. I don't know what you guys are doing. And I did my best. We ended up losing by one vote. If one vote had uh, more had been negative, it would have been a hung jury. And um, then later on, this is all over, and I'm thinking I'm in the middle of the most corrupt system. I have no idea about this. I probably should just stop. And then we, uh, a lawyer says, do you know that trial was fixed you were in? 
I thought we thought so. I said, well, and the judges decided it was fixed that they actually settled secretly. And the judge thought they had settled uh, that the entire fix had taken place during the trial. And he reversed the uh, verdict in favor of the drug company. Eli Lilly and said it was uh, settled with prejudice. Lilly couldn't do anything to reverse that. And uh, they appealed it. And the people who appealed were Joe Smith uh, in, in concert with Eli Lilly to the Kentucky Supreme Court, which said they saw it. They didn't follow up on it, but they suspected or thought there was fraud involved in this settlement. And um, I came right, to Dr. Dr. Reagan, you, you've really explained very well. How yeah, I was just going to go of, on to I learned that well, I learned how, how deep corruption was. Learned. That came across very clear. So when uh, COVID came along and then vaccines came along, you had to have been very, very skeptical. Did you believe that COVID should not have been classified as a pandemic? Well, to start with, no, I didn't think so. Uh, the uh, Dr. Bakhtiri from Germany, you know, early on wrote a short, wonderful book about how this was uh, roughly equivalent to the flu, but less harmless to children than the flu. The data came out very early. What I was immediately struck with was that Fauci was some sort of really corrupt individual. That was the first thing that struck us because he was claiming to be science. And of course, uh, anybody who's had any education knows anything about science uh, knows it should know that science is a human endeavor that morphs and takes different shapes and you have to judge the source of the science, so-called science. It's conducted by people. It has no uh, supreme uh, imprimatur on it from God or the Pope or anybody else. <laughs> and that uh, and that indeed the science from drug companies I knew was actually conspiratorial. They just worked hand and foot with the scientists they hired they work with the FDA. I found that out when I looked into Prozac and wrote about it, collaboration between the FDA, the essentially approved fake trial. So we saw that, number one. Let me explain yeah. for a moment to our audience. You said something absolutely brilliant. To any real scientist watching Dr. Fauci from the beginning, we saw that this man was not a scientist because science is never settled. You don't make those kind of pronounces, especially about something that is new and going especially on. Especially about so the audience, self. You don't right. say I'm the god of science. So we knew right away that Fauci was basically a, a crook. Are you now convinced the entire COVID-19 situation was a plan to control the public from the beginning? What, and if so, what brought you to that conclusion? Yes. In our book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, we conclude that uh, even the damages were planned in advance. And it was very painful. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, you get really trained when you're a medical expert. I've done over a hundred trials. You stick very carefully to the truth. I've written over 60, 70 peer-reviewed articles. And when, especially when you're writing things that are controversial about how bad drugs and shock and lobotomy are, you, you learn to be very specific and definitive. We were not in the camp at the start that this was an international conspiracy. Actually, we did an initial draft and three of the top docs in the world immediately signed on to it and did introductions for it. 
And that was Peter McCullough, who's, I think, the best scientist around right now for COVID-19, amazing man, incredibly honorable. And then also, who's now now gone, um, Zev Zelenko, who actually was the first to stand up on all these issues about early treatment. And he got canceled out of his home, out of his village and out of his state and, uh, you know, really attacked. But he managed to get to Trump. And he's the reason Trump was originally making reasonable comments. And then Lee Valit, uh, head of uh, truthforhealth.org. And they all were more adamant in the introduction that I thought the book was going to conclude that this was a battle of good and evil. And this was a concocted conspiracy. We were not absolutely sure of this, but we probably, if we had not been so, you know, narrowly focusing on just the science and its corruption, I think we would have seen it earlier. The first big hint was why we got into it and decided to really examine what was going on. And that is that in the middle of everyone saying lockstep, that was another thing, the lockstep science, the lockstep medicine, the lockstep who, lockstep uh, Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab. This was a giveaway, obviously. And also the Chinese Communist Party. I mean, everybody's on the same page except uh, the people. And that looked really, really weird, really, really weird to us. But then Ginger found the scientific article she brought in to me for me to look at. And she said, honey, could this be fabricated? And I, we looked at it. I said, no, dear. I've, you know, I've, done a, I've looked at more papers than she has. And I said, no, not possible. This is from Nature. It's a British journal. It's very prestigious. Because the title said that they were making in an American lab, it turns out also in the Wuhan lab, as we read more deeply into the article, they're making SARS-CoV viruses. And then we quickly see that two of the people who are on the, on the list of authors are the top two Chinese researchers at the Wuhan Institute, which is also happens to be a military facility for biological warfare. And the, we found out very quickly things that people weren't reporting, like uh, the head of the uh, Wuhan Institute was actually the top biomedical uh, resource expert in, in, the, uh, in the army. So... I mean, we're looking at all this stuff and we're looking at an article that says that the U.S. and China had this marvelous collaboration making SARS-CoV viruses before 2015. The paper gets published in 2015. This was bizarre. Nobody found this article. New York Times didn't find it. FDA didn't find it. Nobody found it. What is going on? This was simple scientific research into SARS-CoV showed they were making it in the Wuhan Institute, as well as in North Carolina. And there was a person on this list of authors from the FDA, another from Harvard Medical. I mean, people knew this. Why wasn't anybody reporting on this? Well, well having said, second- Dr. Bragan, having said this, are you willing to say that the viruses made in Wuhan were, were let out on purpose? Well, or an let, accident? let me... Let me let me finish just this line of thought so you'll get the idea of what we did immediately conclude. We immediately did a blog on this, uh, a column, and we immediately did a video. I knew some people who knew the Trump's uh, circle, and I sent it to them. And two days later, Trump announced um, when a reporter asked him, probably read our stuff, sir, uh, you're aware that the Wuhan Institute uh, was manufacturing these things. 
and that Fauci was paying for it because that's the other thing we found. Fauci was paying for this in part. Other people were chipping in too. And so Fauci clearly knew this. And um, Trump said, yes, I'm going to cancel all funding by Fauci or anybody else for the Wuhan Institute. And then we saw this didn't get covered anywhere except a little bit in the, um, in the, in the uh, conservative press that we were beginning to work with. So we knew shenanigans were up. And then in addition, we found a 2016 article, no Chinese names on it, same North Carolina people, the people that, that were the favorites of Fauci up to the bitter end. And we find, though, that in the acknowledgments, they're thanking the bat woman who is in charge of the coronavirus research at Wuhan. They're thanking her for sending them materials necessary for their work on the protein spy on the spike protein. So, I mean, we laid deep in with us. But then the only question became, was it a purposeful release and uh, or was it a, as you asked, it was an accidental release. But you see, we didn't have to answer that immediately with certainty because we knew with certainty that China spread it around the world. Mm-hmm. So it became yeah. a moot point whether the leak was accidental or purposeful. We eventually conclude that it was certainly if the leak was accidental, it was purposely let spread. Mm-hmm. Because later we found out that there were four previous leaks of SARS coviruses. That's how bad Fauci and Burks and all these liars were. I mean, did they not know what we easily found out looking in WHO records and looking in Chinese newspapers, English language, that there had been at least four previous leaks of SARS-CoV viruses, most of them around 2003, 2004, when there wasn't a smaller epidemic that was contained. Uh, after the, the, you know, there were 800 deaths, it was a pretty severe epidemic. 8,000 people never reached the U.S., but they contained it. And um, the Li Ming Yan, who we got to know well, who escaped China just to tell the U.S. the truth about everything, she published papers and we talked to her. And she said, look, Peter, they contained every other leak. We've we got all these leaks, at least four coming out of China, one coming out of Hong Kong, one coming out of another place, six, seven leaks from the Far East. They contained every single one. They may have had one or two deaths. They knew how to contain these things. So they, you know, they they really let it go and mm-hmm. let it happen. In your book, uh, uh, Peter, you said that people were planning for a pandemic all the way back in 2015. So who were these people? Well, two, two, 2010 is when they first announced the intention. Now, Bill Gates, you have to understand who Bill Gates was at the time. We're talking about 2010. At that point, Bill Gates had been the number one richest man in the world for many years in a row, as I remember. And Bill Gates, with his Bill Gates Foundation, Bill and Melissa Gates then, was partnered with Warren Buffett, the second or third richest man in the world. And the partnership was very deep. There were only three trustees on the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. One of the three was Warren Buffett. And Warren Buffett was the biggest contributor to the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. So you're talking about the most admired investor in the world, Warren Buffett, and you're looking at the most successful investor in the world, Bill Gates, he's number one. And they're announcing on the World Economic Forum with Klaus Schwab 
And while they're announcing in 2010 that this is going to be the decade of the vaccine. And furthermore, that on their small vaccine advisory board is Anthony Fauci, maybe six people on it, two from the UN. So back then, the whole business industrial trust world is put on notice that get involved, get your piece of the vaccine industry and the coming pandemic, because clearly they know something we don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, just imagine if you didn't even know these people and you're a big investor and you see this and you see it occurring with the World Economic Forum and other illustrious individuals being involved. It was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. So not only did they plan it, they began gathering a huge force around them as of 2010. By 2012, Bill Gates gets the UN to approve this whole vaccine decade idea. And they use Bill as the model for it. Later on, Schwab, much later, 2019, Schwab will get a, a legal agreement to, uh, called a Memorandum of Understanding with the UN that they're all in on the Great Reset. Now, the first document we found, and again, why aren't other people finding these? I don't know. Maybe they don't want to work 13 hours a day. Maybe they don't have my background. But one of the first things I found, in going to your date now, five years later, 2015, I find in the summer that a new organization set up by Bill Gates, it's a nonprofit getting billions of dollars poured in. And remember, by the way, folks, when Bill Gates is controlling a nonprofit, this is called CEPI, C-E-P-I. It's just for vaccine development. When you're as rich as they are, it doesn't matter whether your money is in a trust that you can't take it out of, but you're investing for the trust because it's a philanthropic endeavor. You don't need the money. You don't need to buy a new car or a third yacht or another airplane. You just care about the amount of money you control. People don't get that. Mm -hmm. So here's Gates now controlling more and more money. Uh, He sets up his organization to do um, one of these talks with slides, the PowerPoint. And we find a PowerPoint, big, long PowerPoint with details that he has made not got his name on it. It's got Seppi's name on it. But he's made for the World Health Organization. We find that with no comments listed, they probably forgot they had it in an archive at who. And this thing says things like, uh, and it's basically like an agreement. And it says we actually have a legal agreement called a memorandum of understanding. And I, this is actually in the book, COVID-19, the Global Predators. It's actually, we got pictures of these pages in, of, of the PowerPoint. And he's actually saying to who, as part of their understanding, that all the expenses for the drug companies that develop the new rapid platforms will be paid for. It doesn't say who, but it's clearly going to be the government. And then he even says further that if there's a real lot of extra money, give some of it back to CEPI. We've all been right. Hold, hold on a second, Dr. Bragan. I want to give you a unauthorized commercial for your book. Somewhere between 30,000 and 50,000 listeners will hear our interview with you. And if they read a single book, if they read a single book this year, it ought to be 
your book, and we will link to the book when the radio show comes out in, in a podcast next week, because it is magnificent. And what you have shown just in the few minutes we've been on, and we'll be on in total for an hour, the research that went into it. I mean, nothing you're talking about is your opinion. I mean, it is true. It is data supported facts. And the more people get your book and understand how they're being fooled by billionaires like Bill Gates, by the insidious World Economic Forum and Klaus, who wrote this great reset, uh, the more they'll be able to share it with their friends and neighbors and over time stop this terrible thing, trying more and more to control the American public, the whole world public, and caring not one bit about our health. Mm, yeah. Tom, you have a question. Thank you yeah, so what? much for that. So let me tell people how to buy it. You can get the book on, on all your major places like Amazon. And on Amazon, not on our website, but on Amazon, you can also get an inexpensive ebook. It's, I think, $2.99 for this whole book. This book's 650 pages. It reads, people tell me, like a murder mystery kind of book. It's got <laughs> you know, a huge stop right print. there. I was going to tell you, my wife is hooked on murder mysteries, and I can't wait to get this book for her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We also have an audio book and then the regular book, which is the glossy paperback. If you want to buy it from us as the alternative, a little cheaper, and of course we make much more money that way that we can pump back into the book and other things, you can get it on our dedicated website, which is wearetheprey.com. That's mm -hmm. the subtitle okay. of the book, wearetheprey.com. Uh, Tom, Tom, you got to The fact that the Chinese government restricted travel within China to not infect other cities but then let them fly all over the world from the infected area. That suggests that at the very least, they didn't care that they were infecting the world. Do you agree with that? Well, that's a, we, we, we really dive into that in the book and it's much deeper than they didn't care. They're intentionally doing it to the world. That's obvious. And they're doing it with who covering for them. Mm -hmm. And probably there's probably Fauci emails in there as well, although I haven't looked into all those emails that have come up since the book. So there's a real collaboration going on between Bill Gates and who and um, the Chinese communists. And of course, Gates wanted nothing more in his whole life than a pandemic. He had announced that he was devoting himself to a pandemic. And mm -hmm. a man like that doesn't waste billions and billions of dollars and maybe billions of hours, the billions of, of dollars in his time, along with all the other people he's got marshaled with him. And all the drug companies, because by 2015, one of the things we find out from this uh, same PowerPoint is that he's already doing warp speed. And he's particularly doing it with Moderna and Pfizer. Now, you want to know about planning? So Bill Gates is doing it focused on Moderna and Pfizer. And we even see in the financial pages by Pfizer. That's where Bill Gates is putting his money for the pandemic. I mean, these people are thinking so far. Now, what two vaccines did our government approve? And Moderna and Pfizer. Met. Absolutely. Yeah. We know that. How did Trump get taken in? And why didn't he fire Fauci and Burks uh, early on? I don't understand that. Well, I don't think anybody understands it fully. But I think that Trump's ethics were high enough that he could not imagine this depth of corruption. I mean, I didn't. 
Ginger didn't, and we were corruption experts. The depth of corruption behind COVID-19, that is the planning that was going on for at least a decade. That's just when they announced the decade, though. Imagine what they did before that. So um, we just stopped the 2010, most of our research, not all of it. That when did a- you realize that, that who was controlled by the Chinese communists and Bill Gates? Pretty early on. Yeah, we were, that was coming up pretty early on because Tedros is a communist thug, Ethiopian. He, he hid from his own people when he was uh, near the top of the uh, government and uh, with his specialty in public health. He hid some cholera epidemics from his own people, uh, which interfered with the proper uh, handling of it. And um, he has actually been an activist in, uh, even in wars involving the communists. So he's a communist stool, and he's the head of the WHO. Uh, and, you know, if you look back at the places that love him now, like the New York Times, they were uncovering his what they felt was his criminal background when he came up for appointment. And the Chinese got him reappointed this year with no opposition, none. Hmm. So who dared? I mean, who could frighten you that much that nobody put his hat in the rain? I don't mm-hmm. think Bill Gates even can scare you as much as Xi Jinping. The interlocking between all these people and a lot of the billionaires. I mean, I think it was Michael Bloomberg, his wife or somebody was, uh, maybe he was a, an ambassador for who. These people are all tied in together so deep, they just think of it as life. They don't think mm-hmm. of it as a conspiracy. When Michael Bloomberg held his first conference after it was in January after it was assumed. No, it was in October, November, when it looked like Trump had lost. I mean, his conference is about recoupling with China and his co-sponsor is China of a worldwide conference where Hillary's at it and Bill's at it and, you know, uh, just tons of people. from the Let me let me explain to- something to you, Dr. Bragan, that you may not be aware of that I've figured out. The vast majority of billionaires, as you pointed out, there's nothing they cannot buy. So material things don't matter. But all of them think they're much smarter than everyone else because they made a lot of money in some area. And the only thing they don't have that they want is power. So all of this, the, the bottom root is their desire is power. You put it in an interesting way a little while back when you say they want to control a lot of money. Well, that's just another line talking uh, about power. And it's rather sad that these people don't care about people at all. I'm in the middle of writing an article about the World Economic Federation. I mean, they openly announce that they don't care about the public. They only care about themselves. And it really it really is horrible. Well, that's really interesting, Jay. So let's go for a break. We'll be right back with the Ithaca, New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Bregan. He's the author, along with his wife, Ginger Ross Bregan, of the new book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. That's going to be linked to under our podcast. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after the break. You already know Genesis plus HOCL is your best defense against viruses. But did you also know it's the most powerful weapon for eliminating airborne mold too? Customers are raving about the Genesis Fogger's ability to tackle mold problems and the bad smells that go with them. 
and we all know mold is a hazard to your health. There's no airborne invader that Genesis can't handle. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud to receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you're ready for anything. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. Surely if you can't find it here, you can't find it anywhere. We are the pulse and voice of everyday American thought. So you can listen in on our free apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, I'm Ben Marble, MD, and I founded MyFreeDoctor.com as a donation-supported, faith-based nonprofit with a mission to save lives by delivering free doctor visits to patients in all 50 states of America. MyFreeDoctor.com treats a broad range of health concerns like COVID-19, long COVID, sinus infections, urinary tract infections, rashes, medication refills, and more. So please visit MyFreeDoctor.com, where we're healing America one person at a time. We're back with New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Brigham, along with his wife, Ginger Ross Brigham. He is the author of the new book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. Peter, combining two questions. One is uh, when you became aware that ivermectin and hydrochloroquine were effective, basically home medicines for COVID. And then you learned about a piece of legislation that I think nobody knows about that said that the government can finance a rapid development of a vaccine uh, and bypass FDA regulations as long as there's not another cure. And so in your book, you say that they had to suppress ivermectin and hydrochloroquine because then they wouldn't uh, be able to play with the public and these quick vaccine developments. Uh, Tell us when you found the efficacy of the two drugs and then learned about the legislation. Yeah, well, I'm an expert on, real expert on adverse drug effects because that's a lot of what the legal work I have done over the years, uh, often involving the drug companies, as I mentioned to you. So um, I quickly looked up, it was hydrochloroquine at the time, and I was very shocked by what I found. I, I've never seen a drug with such a, a good safety profile. The only danger is if you use it uh, well above 
it's recommended concentrations, then you can really hurt people with it. But if you in any way just follow the ordinary and it's so safe, it's uh, it's uh, over the counter in many countries. And some of the countries that have done the best during uh, COVID-19 are where you could buy your, your hydroxychloroquine over the counter. So here I'm seeing it being attacked. It is this very dangerous drug. I look it up in uh, my uh, current volume of Goodman and Gilman, the best pharmacology textbook. And, and they say that this is a remarkably safe drug. They never talk like that in, uh, in textbooks. Remarkably safety drug, the fabulous profile, been around for 50 years, 60 years. And I'm saying, you know, they're blaming deaths on it. Uh, which I later I, I did a study of one of the um, one of the studies that the AMA put up on its website and that the New York Times uh, gave an article to almost simultaneously. They actually were poisoning the patients down in Brazil and killing their patients until the hospital intervened and said, "Stop your your uh, research here." They were killing elderly sick patients with overdoses. They killed off about a third of them. And that article was picked up. Anybody could have seen through the article. I mean, I could see through it instantly that the doses were too high. And they weren't even using hydroxychloroquine. They're using the older drug chloroquine, which mm-hmm. has more safety issues. So, I mean, were they the, doing the it depths of the violence. Were they doing it to make the treatment bad? Yeah, they were doing it to kill people and discredit the treatment. Oh, wow. Absolutely. God. Absolutely. And the New York Times puts it, uh, gives it all this, uh, this hoopla. And they certainly had to have somebody at JAMA who knew what I knew from 10 minutes of reading and could see the study was stopped by an independent committee. I mean, these guys were so clever. They later, they later made the independent committee authors so they could claim it was their committee that stopped it. <laughs> I mean, wow. it's kind of real deceit, real conspiratorial wow. deceit. So, I mean, that was, that, so I'm looking at this whole thing and it's obviously terribly rigged. Um, and then, of course, by then I'm friends with Peter McCullough and then with Zev Zelenko, who have written introductions to, the, or going to soon write introductions to the book way back then, mm-hmm. when we were finished, you know, when we were working hard on the book. But um, it was, that was apparent immediately. And then I quickly found the, and, and, and to this day, people, I don't know, I keep repeating it, but I don't hear it on radio shows or TV. You're one of the few people ever brought it up where I didn't bring it up. So congratulations on that. But it's the, um, it's the EUA, the Emergency Use Authority. To, to have an EUA, as in many such emergency legislations uh, in various courts and various uh, legislatures, you have to show it's a real emergency. That is, you don't have a safe and effective treatment. And in this case, a safe and effective treatment that's already passed all the safety studies of the FDA 40, 50 years ago, but much more important, has passed 40 or 50 years of use. That's where you really find out about a drug. And this mm-hmm. drug was so safe. Um, ivermectin was very safe. I got a, a, a Nobel Prize for, for, for ivermectin, making ivermectin and uh, it was it was so safe and so useful. And it's off-label use. That is, it's not what it was initially approved for. It was initially approved for malaria. But so, but nobody cares about that in medicine. Probably half of drug prescribing and psychiatry is even more is, is off-label. It got approved for one thing, and then everybody finds out what's working for other things. Mm, so wow. 
it was it was just really an awful thing, a horrible thing to look at. But they had another reason why they couldn't allow the safe and effective treatment. It wasn't just the EUA would die. Nobody would put up with all the craziness if they had a safe and effective treatment. The lockdowns, and I want to get to, I want to say a little bit more about that, but the lockdowns and the forcing you to wait for vaccines. I mean, literally doctors are still telling their patients that we still heard this uh, from somebody very close to us. They were told their husband should stay home until he couldn't breathe anymore. And then he, then he could come to the hospital and there was no treatment. And this is, this is insane. This is violent. But it was planned. Now, I, I want to, uh, and the reason it was planned was there were two purposes of the whole COVID-19. And one purpose was to vastly enrich people, the billionaires uh, in that first year in, in America and in uh, China went up hugely in their wealth. And after about a year or so, the Chinese 450 billionaires were up 50% in the one year, and our top billionaires were up, were up 60%, our top billionaires were up 50%. The exact date is in the, in the book. So just using that as a measure of the wealth pouring in to the CCP and into China, because everything there is the Chinese Communist Party, then the wealth pouring into our country, into the wealthiest people. But it's going into all of the big corporations, all the big corporations are tied into this. They all mm-hmm. go to the meetings, the World Economic Forum, they go to the meeting at, at um Michael Bloomberg's New Economy Forum. I mean, it's just amazing what they're all doing together. And we document the heck out of it in an interesting way mm-hmm. uh, in, uh, in in the book. Uh, but now I want to tell a story that's not in the book, which is just mind-bending. A key issue, and I think you were getting at this about Trump. What was What happened to Trump? Well, here's something that nobody told Trump. When he decided to release 60 million doses of um, hydroxychloroquine that he had purchased, he's got these millions and millions of doses. The entire global predator system had to go on full alert. Well, they knew something Trump didn't know. So the director of HEW sends the message down to release all of this. Well, where does the message go? It goes to the person who is in the agency running the whole emergency use authorization, including selecting the uh, predetermined um, Bill Gates, uh, uh, Moderna, and uh, Pfizer to be the ones that get paid off in advance for their drugs before, for their vaccines before they're even approved. They're paying them money and so on. So it goes there. And who's in charge there? It's a guy named Rick Bright. Well, who the heck has ever heard of Rick Bright? Bill Gates has heard of Bill. <laughs> Rick Bright. Klaus Schwab has heard of him. The major drug companies working with him have heard of him. Because what they did, is they knew in advance, by the day I mean the global predators, this really large group of people, and um, they knew that the key organization was BARDA. And BARDA was created by the legislation that made the EUA. So it's all one package. So what did they do? They brought a yeah, mid to upper level guy, Rick Bright, out of the CDC 
And they got him deeply involved in their master plan for COVID-19. So they not only had Fauci uh, on their committee, they not only had the FDA and other groups down there working with them on their master plans, they had Rick Bright sitting on two of their committees and working with them on how to plan the next pandemic. Now, what I found all this in was the what I call the book, The Master Plan, because I got up one night, I now knew about the, uh, the PowerPoint. I got up one night, I said, man, there's got to be a plan behind all this PowerPoint. And I start fiddling and, you know, my fingers are flying around. And I come upon, which apparently nobody outside the inner circle has ever seen because nobody's ever brought it out in the open before, the preliminary business plan for the new foundation to control the vaccine industry called CEPI. I mentioned to you earlier. And it's a book and it's a glossy. And it describes all the people they're working with around the world to get ready for the next um, pandemic. I mean, the World Bank, the United Nations has a huge role in who is mentioned innumerable times. And all like 10, maybe 10, 12 major pharmaceutical companies. And in this plan is Rick Bright. They groomed Rick Bright to get to be appointed the head of BARDA so that he could be there to stop anything that wasn't right for them and to pay off everybody with billions of federal funds. Now, that wasn't even enough for them. They, they knew they had the control bar. They had to have everybody on their side there. Well, Barter had a previous acting director who then became the director, and they hired him to be the lifetime CEO of their CEPI. Mm-hmm. Wow. So they've got the... So heading up, and you can plug this, this part isn't in the book, but you can plug it in beautifully into the book when you see the name Rick Bright, and then you find out that his predecessor for four years is the head of SEPI, gets hired to be lifetime, and I've never seen a lifetime CEO before, permanent CEO of uh, SEPI, and he gets uh, to be hired to head BARDA. So, uh, what was, what was had, his name, Peter? Uh, what was his name? Hatchet. 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 I forget his first name right now. All right. So the bottom, the bottom line of what you started with is that the 60 million amounts of ivermectin or uh, uh, hydrochloroquine that Trump was releasing never got released. Is that correct? Never got released. Wow. That's right. Now, if it got released, it would have changed. It would have changed the world, saved millions of lives. He's, led me to conclude these people are mass murderers. Well, well they are. And I'm going to teach you something. Uh, I've spent most of the day, well, actually most of the last week writing an article explaining. Yes, I want to uh, get it. How, Send it to me. Okay. It's yes. how the, the communists, starting in the 30s in Italy, have infiltrated every institution, every university, every school, every corporate board meeting, boardroom, uh, every uh, professional society, uh, it's no longer a surprise to me. And after you read my paper, you'll understand the collusion between all the organizations that you have yes. named and how this has been brought about. And the one thing we have on our side 
is that from day one, they decided to ignore the people, care only about themselves, and they've walked all over us. And the more we get your book out to tell about it and other articles that I'm writing to tell about it, the more we can enlist an army to, to fight back. And I'm totally optimistic we will fight back and all of this will be uncovered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we actually had a number of questions from listeners. One of them in particular is Joe Bass, the former president of the Heartland Institute, now retired. He sent us this question. Earlier today, I had my semi-annual CT scan to see if my renal cancer, renal cell cancer had returned four years after my radical nephrectomy. Nephrectomy. Yeah. The oncologist who specializes in kidney and prostate cancer asked me if I was double boosted. I said no, and he gave me a short lecture on how getting COVID shots now would prompt an immune reaction to the COVID that could protect me in the event that the cancer returned and I needed chemotherapy. Apparently getting COVID while on chemotherapy would be especially bad. He didn't invite rebuttal and I didn't offer one. My question is this, this is from Joe Bast. Does the immunity, in quotes, <laughs> provided by multiple jabs survive the effects of chemotherapy? So that's the first question. <laughs> oh, well, I don't know. I haven't looked into it. No one's ever asked me before. Mm. Um, I can jump ahead to a second and more important issue really right now, which is that there's an increased cancer rate um, after these shots. And the more shots, the more the various cancers will be can be increased. And you have we have their cases in the literature of patients with control cancers that have gotten out of control. It doesn't mean it'll happen in your case. It doesn't mean that at all. But I mean, really, things are so variable. But Mm. um, the real the real problem is that these uh, these shots are um, inhibiting. They're wearing out the immune system and people are getting uh, immune deficiency disease like AIDS. I mean, they're getting immune deficiencies. And that just uh, opens up all kinds of other problems. Yeah, well, the second question, and I think I know the answer is, do you recommend the vaccine to cancer survivors generally? I don't recommend it to anyone. Frankly, the more vulnerable. (laughs) I knew you were going to say that. And let me me tell you a a one-minute case study. Uh, I was the healthiest 85-year-old person on the planet on the 1st of October. I've never been in a doctor's office. I've never had a prescription drug, uh, but I worked as a volunteer at a county fair for uh, a few days, and I came down with COVID and a heart rate of 140 uh, for two weeks in the hospital. Uh, they finally got my heart rate down at, with electric shock therapy on my back, not my head, and uh, I walked out two hours later, and I other than taking a few weeks to uh, recover, there is uh, no way. I I had been vaccinated in February, got the disease in October, and uh, I have many friends that are really expert uh, biochemists. Uh, when I told them I was planning a cruise in November to uh, Rome and, and Israel, uh, they basically, but I couldn't get on the ship without a booster. And they all came back and said, don't you dare take the booster or get on that ship. And I took their advice, cancel the cruise immediately. So uh, I'm totally on your side. <laughs> yeah, it's a very sad circumstance. And for sure, folks, uh, 
fight with all your might to prevent your children. I mean, take them out of school from getting vaccinated. I mean, mm -hmm. uh, children have an approximate rate of, of death from this uh, disease of zero uh, percent. I mean, it just doesn't, it doesn't come up as a number in a statistical analysis, such small numbers of, of children. And it's good for your child to get it as a child because he'll get, he or she will get a lot of protection growing up. And it's good for the community because it will increase the community immunity, community mm -hmm. immunity. Right. And on the other side, it does kill children to get the vaccine. And it's going to make a certain percentage of them that is probably significant sterile, the women and the men, they're going to end up producing abnormal births and all kinds of problems. And it's uh, causing a, a myocarditis, inflammation of the heart, mm -hmm. um, is one of the ways it kills children or just wounds them for, you know, badly. So the, the only reason they would be for giving it to children is the two reasons that dri driving this whole program and and then I want to get a little more expansive about what's really going on. What's happening is that uh, they're getting the, the developing ability to force the country to do the most dangerous things possible, like giving a very toxic, known to cause sterility, known to cause death uh, vaccine. Uh, the death rates on this vaccine are probably hundreds of times greater than on any other vaccine, at least hundreds, because we don't let vaccines kill more than a few people before they're taken off the market up until now. I mean, one of the worst death rates we ever had were 50 with, a, I think it was H1N1. And that was because uh, they got that high after it was taken off the market. It was taken off the market for causing Guillain-Barre, a neuro neurological disorder, in about 50 people or something. So we're talking about we, we take vaccines off the market that cause neurological diseases. I also uh, know vaccines that were taken off the market for a time being because it was thought that one batch might be contaminated and make people sick. We have in the U.S. now got, and I think they're pretty much now not even letting the reports come through, but 30,000 reports of death into the CDC, into its official system. 30,000. Now, what's the average in a year normally from all vaccines? About 100, 80, 100, 110, all vaccines. And we've gotten in a couple of years now 30,000 reports. So we're talking about a massive conspiracy. The CDC has said, oh, it's not, it's not looking at the reports anymore. Never. Mm. <clears throat> They're not analyzing the reports. That's the whole point of the system is to analyze the reports. Why do they mm -hmm. spend all the money developing this system? Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. is to do just what it's doing now. And they don't want it to do what it's doing now. So they've actually answered freedom of information requests saying, no, nah, they're, not, they're not using the system for that. So we're, we're into uh, something that at its peak is basically to destroy the constitutional democracies of the world. When you read Cloud Schwab or you listen to any of these folks, what is the main threat to communist China and what is the main threat 
to the Western global capitalism. It's not really capitalism. It's a kind of fascism. These people don't. The last thing that uh, the great big companies that are working with Schwab and working with the UN want, the last thing they want is a free enterprise system. They want to keep the competition out. They don't want freedom at all. We do not have anything like free enterprise or genuine capitalism going on in these big companies. Not mm-hmm. Zero. That, that mean, uh, and I've looked inside the pharmaceutical industry, many of the companies, I can tell you, the first thing when they hear they have a problem that they do is they have a committee to cover it up. They have no interest in honesty, truth. It's really quite terrible. Mm-hmm. But um, they well, want by the way, we, we, we have constitutional a... democracies. Yeah. yeah. We have a question from a doctor of veterinary medicine. He said this. Do you think an international summit, including medical professionals, research scientists, real journalists, legal specialists, historians, analysts, writers, or others, would help promote public awareness of the COVID-19 fraud, inform voters, and stimulate some critical thinking? That's a bit of a long question, but would you support uh, an international summit like that? And what organizations do you think might actually be interested in funding and promoting such a summit? Well, I think it's an interesting question. There have been a number of different summits held, and they're pretty small. Mm. And I think it's just going to be very, very hard to to get doctors out. They're under terrible threat. They lose their jobs. They lose professorships, tenured professorships. They lose clinical appointments. Um, they get threatened with losing their license. Um, the boards, uh, the boards are violently attacking. Uh, Doctors, well, since one of the boards, you know, control what the doctor is supposed to say after he's got his boards. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. So mm-hmm. it would be hard, hard to get people to take part. <laughs> well, Dr. Bregan and Jay, we're out of time, so we're going to have to wrap up. Our guest today has been the Ithaca, New York-based psychiatrist, Dr. Peter Bregan, along with his wife, Ginger Ross Bregan. He's the author of the new book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators, We Are the Prey. So this is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.